we've been talking about evolve, and uh, one of the things that uh, I'm concerned about is that uh, even in our evolving as a congregation, uh, that uh, we evolve in our relevance uh, to the world around us. Uh, this is a different age we live in, and some of you may be able to relate with what I'm about to say. This is a different age we live in uh, where there are, there, there are a multiplicity of reasons why people come to church. This is not the day and age where saying we have church was a draw. That it, it, it has to, uh, because of the clutter of life, uh, somehow, some way, it, this isn't the day anymore where you say we have prayer meeting and everybody shows up. Uh, church has to be relevant without compromising the central message of church. Yeah. Are you understanding this? Because as soon as we compromise the purpose and the message of church, then we're not church anymore. We're something else. And Jesus died to purchase the church. Not the church building, but those of us who are in it. And so we want to remain relevant, yet find that place, that sweet spot where we can be relevant and yet never, ever, ever, never, never, never compromise the message that we're supposed to carry, and the message that we're supposed to carry is the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified and his love and redemptive work on the cross of Calvary. Um, that being said, uh, we know that uh, over the last few years, as a matter of fact, since 2013, uh, there has been a movement that was established, and that was the Black Lives Movement. Say amen if, you under, if you're familiar with that. Uh, if you're here and you're not African-American, we don't want you to feel uncomfortable. Uh, we're not going to, this is not going to end with this church leaving out of here with fists raised in the air uh, talking about black power. The power's in the blood and it's going to always be in the blood. And I don't care who has a problem with that, the power's in the blood. So even as the Lord gave this idea to me, I struggled with it because I wanted to find the balance uh, because there is uh, this Black Lives Movement and, it, and it's, a, it's, it's a great movement. It's, uh, it was a response to social injustice uh, toward uh, black individuals who were unjustly uh, killed uh, and it, it responds and intervenes um, to vigilantes and even law enforcement entities uh, that, um, uh, that practice social injustice and that racially profile and so on and so forth. The reality is we can, entities are made up of people. And wherever people are, you're going to have flaws. There are no entities that exist in the world that are not made up of people. Stop trying to look for perfection in entities made up of imperfect people, including the church. Including the church. And so, uh, in an effort to to piggyback off of that, I wanted to have this preaching panel, 
And of course, Black Lives Matter, and, it, and, and it's a great movement. However, there are two questions I, I want to appeal to you with. Number one, black lives matter to who? Number two, black lives should matter to black lives first. Okay? Black lives matter to who? Uh, the protesting, the injustice. Yes, we should fight injustice. But it's hard to convince a person or people that they matter to anybody else if they don't first matter to themselves. This is a principle that transcends every relationship. You can't be in a relationship with somebody and love them if they don't love themselves. The audacity for any ethnic group, any group, any person to demand to be treated right in the presence of them treating themselves wrong. Be the example to yourself of how we want other people to treat us. And the best way we matter, we can matter, is by making a difference. And so, you know, the little sermonette I had was called Blessed Lives Matter. The Bible says in Psalms 1, we dare not have this panel without opening our Bibles because this is not a social hour. This is, this is still the Word of God. This is, this is how we matter. I'm just going to make one point, and then we're going to jump right into uh, this transition. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. God loved us so much, much that he gave us the key on how to be blessed. He didn't say, Blessed is the black man that walketh in the not in the counsel of the ungodly. He didn't say blessed is the white man. He didn't say blessed is the Asian man or the Hispanic man. He said blessed is the man. The Bible does, uh, watch this, now while God is not concerned uh, initially with color of skin, uh, we have, of course, through our evolution, have taken some concerns with our ethnicity. And there's nothing wrong with with ethnicity. There's nothing wrong with loving the skin you're in. Let me first establish that. There's nothing wrong with, uh, uh, with being happy to be in the skin you're in. I love being a black man. Okay, let me say that. Uh, I don't love being a black man because, uh, because of extrinsic things. I don't love being a black man because of you know, society and uh, black and BET and, uh, and music and sports and all of the things we're good in, and black achievement and black power. I love being a black man because when I was born, that's how God made me. Are you seeing this? I'm, I'm really treading lightly and very meticulously. I love being a black man because of that. So what we have here is we have the Bible and God presenting how to be blessed for any man, right? The blessed life matters. 
And in this text, I'm going to show you one point that makes the blessed life matter, and it will make the black life matter. It will make the white life matter. It'll make the Asian life matter. Here's the point. He says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Watch this. But his delight shall be in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Here it is. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water watch this that bringeth forth his fruit in his season don't miss this trees are not do not just exist for themselves they exist to give back if you want your life to matter be you black white, Hispanic, or Asian, don't be a person that just consumes, be a person that knows how to give back because that is how God made the blessed man. He said he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, the blessed man, the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, watch this, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, watch this, his leaf also shall not wither. In other words, for in order for us to matter, we need to not only give back, but we need to live for that purpose. Every part of the tree gives. The fruit satisfies the need for sustenance. The leaves satisfies the need for shade and the dispensing of carbon dioxide because you do know that if it were not for trees, we couldn't even breathe. And if you want your life to matter as a black man, as a black woman, as a white woman, as whoever, whatever your color is, make the difference. People should be able to breathe easier because you're in the room. Y'all not hearing me. Y'all not hearing me. We ought to be able to help somebody uh, grow and nourish somebody emotionally, educationally, spiritually, but it does not make any sense of us protesting that we matter to people who don't think we matter if they don't think we matter because of how we treat ourselves. Get in with this. God says there are two great commandments. The first, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, with all thy soul. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love your neighbor. Not period. As yourselves. So this is not uh, a rundown. And, and the reason why we did this is because we did not get to have a black history program as we usually do. But uh, I, I do believe uh, that uh, we need to uh, appreciate our history. Every part of it. We need to appreciate every part of our history. And in your personal life, appreciate every part of your history. Because if you're walking with God, he'll take even the worst parts of your history and make it 
add together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Even the part of slavery. Yes, we're not slaves anymore. But I just imagine that the reason why we're so innovative and the reason why we sing like we do, and the reason why we, we move like we move, and the reason why we have our swag, it wasn't born in freedom. It was born in slavery, and this is a biblical pattern. Do you know how Israel learned all the trades they learned? They didn't learn it in the wilderness. They didn't learn it when they got out of Egypt. They learned it over 430 plus years and 400 plus years of being slaves. They learned in their slavery how to do all the things that Egypt was enslaving them to do. So much so that God took all that stuff they learned and said, when I free you, you're taking it with you. That trouble you went through, thank God for it. Because there are some principles and some qualities about your life that were born in your hardship. And so today, uh, today, I, I got to stop. But today, uh, God blessed this congregation and I selected these. And there, I, there are plenty of people that could have been selected. Uh, we want to have this panel of people who experience success to some degree that are, watch this, success not by man's standard. See, success is not about how much money you make. Because you can make a lot of money and be the biggest failure in the world. Right? Success is the blessed life that makes a difference. Like the tree that brings forth fruit and whose leaves never wither. And so we're going we're gonna to hear from our, our panelists. I'm excited about this. And uh, we hope that you would be encouraged. If you feel moved by anything that anybody says, uh, feel free to relax. This is a church building, but we're the church wherever we are. Okay? Don't, don't, don't hamper your personality. Some of y'all are so fun, but get in church and become so stoic. Who is this person? Yesterday we were joking and laughing. Today, all right. Okay, so I want to start over here, and we're going to We want you to introduce yourselves, and we'll start this panel discussion. Thank you, brother Steve. Brother Steve, yes. Go ahead. Brother Darwin Brown, uh, service one of deacons here at Mountain View. And what do you do vocationally? Uh, Sister Brunswick at Middle School. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you. I'm Sister Brown, Darwin Brown's wife, um, and I am an assistant superintendent in Duncanville Independent School District. Good morning, I'm Sister Dr. Reba Williams-White, and I'm a semi-retired obstetrician gynecologist over 30 years. Um, my name is Dr. Stephanie Anderson. I am an internal medicine doctor at Parkland Hospital. <laughs> uh, I'm Anthony Fleming. I'm not a doctor. Why am I stuck between all the doctors? <laughs> uh, I'm Anthony Fleming. I serve as a deacon here as well. I am a, well, my part-time job, I am a, uh, a Division I college official. 
uh, side judge, and I also work in the XFL as a field judge. So. Hi, I'm Dr. Jacqueline Rogers. I um, am a licensed professional counselor and certified by the, licensed by the state of Texas. I am Brother Parson, uh, retired uh, postal executive for, 20, for 35 years. But near and dear to my heart, I've been coaching football and working with youth for the past 26 years, and I'm the president of the Irving All Sports Association and the Irving uh, Foot Boys Football Association. Right. Amen. Let's give all our panelists a hand. Uh, I want to get right into the questions, of course. Uh, we kind of gave, uh, you, you all know where we're going today. Uh, I want to talk about whether or not, <clears throat> were there any challenges in your journey to where you got to where you are now in life? Uh, you know, counselors and auditors and, and heads over nonprofits for young people and teachers and principals and doctors. Were there any challenges on your journey that were related to your ethnicity? And what were some of them? I can start up. Well, first of all, Brother Hamilton, I don't have too many ethnic challenges because when I go to Puerto, when I go to New York, I'm Puerto Rican. I go to New Orleans, I'm Creole. I, I go to Florida, I'm Cuban. And I go to California, I'm Hawaiian, so I get in where I fit in. <laughs> so you just fit in all the time. That's right. But, but on a real note, I think um, through my journey uh, to success, uh, I've been challenged uh, many times with uh, ethnocentric concerns. Uh, I think the fact of the matter is that um, different societies, different cultures, uh, we are different. There are differences between us. Uh, most common, we understand customs and traditions. We understand language and not just the difference between English and Spanish, but the use of language, use of gestures and how people communicate. But I think the other thing too is that different social areas and ethnic groups um, have been affected by different uh, social situations. Uh, there are certain conditions out there that um, make people act a certain way, feel a certain way, and see the world in a different way. Uh, my recommendation is whenever you're dealing with ethnic groups, uh, you really need to take some time and understand them. Uh, understand their culture, their uh, uh, traditions, uh, understand their social behaviors. And I think more importantly, if you're really gonna go out there and venture and work with other people, you have to develop a sense of uh, ethno-sensitivity. Uh, you have to learn to respect, understand, and appreciate the differences between us and build on those differences. Thank you, amen, amen, well, thank you. Well, I wanna say absolutely I had challenges because I knew I had two strikes against me when I started. I was African-American and I was a female, so I started out already behind the game, mm. but that never stopped me. The challenges made me a lot stronger. Going into residency as a uh, OBGN, I was amongst, I was a female amongst three, Afri three um, Caucasian guys, and so everybody tried to make my life tough, but God had angels all around the hospital mm. that kind of washed around me. They were in the kitchen doing food service. They was in the lab doing lab, you know. They were in the social services, so I always had a step ahead of those who were already trying to be what they call haters. So, you know, you just have to have confidence in who you are and whose you are and go on with it. Ethnicity is not going to stop me. Amen. Amen. Uh, <laughs> Amen. Go ahead. Um, 
in, in the world of, of officiating uh, for a long time, and I didn't experience a lot of the setbacks of, of black officials, but there was a mindset that uh, only a certain type of official could work a certain type of game. And uh, I talked with a lot of guys coming through the ranks who experienced more than I experienced when it comes to uh, most times, you know, national championships or Super Bowls. And here, to here recently, majority of the officials were white, even though they didn't uh, identify with the type of athlete that was on the field. Because most of your players are not white. They are about a lot of good white players, but then uh, they, they didn't identify. Uh, even so, the one incident I did have, uh, for a long time, for four years, I was in the SWAC, and some folk know what SWAC, black college football. Mm. Uh, and one year I moved from the SWAC into Division One football, the Sun Belt. Mm. And I had a referee that I knew personally, and I didn't know, uh, we doing a test before the game, and he turned to me, he said, well, uh, I know you may struggle, so I'm gonna read this to you. And so what wow. I told him, in the most educated way I knew how, <laughs> fool, I can read <laughs> very well. And so those are the th type of challenges when you get into the officiating world because there, there's that mindset. Mm. Amen. I face um, challenges today. I am the only African-American clinician in Midlothian where I have private practice. And my background is as a high school counselor. So when I went to Midlothian, my son, he was going to Midlothian High School. And I was doing my private practice part-time before I went full-time. And I saw students, kids, who were really broken because the population is really, really underserved. They have no administrators, no one in, at the top who looks anything like us. And so these kids would come in because they felt invisible. And so I was determined to get into the school system in order to assist you know, the African-American students. However, I've been met with so much resistance. Um, I spoke with the superintendent, um, with the lead counselors, everybody. However, I'm still unable to break that barrier. But I'm still determined I'm going to get into that school system. Yeah. Help my Amen. students. Amen. Amen. I'll share. I'm um, not originally from Texas. I'm from Louisiana. My first um, teaching job was here in Texas. However, I was recruited from my university. Um, and the first time I dealt with um, an issue because of my ethnicity and education was when I got to my first interview um, because I think that they didn't know who I was when they looked at me on paper. Um, and that was intentional by my mom because of what she dealt with as a kid. Um, as a kid, I got teased about, about my name a lot. My name is Kathleen Marie, and that just didn't go. So it <laughs> didn't go with me. So as a young girl in school, I remember, I, I always wanted my name to be Latasha. Like, I just really liked that name. And so when, um, I did, and so when, when they would call different uh, names in the class, everybody would get all excited and they'd say, Kathleen Marie Baker, and everybody say, Kathleen, you know? So um, I remember talking to my mom about it and her telling me the why um, behind my name. I'm actually named after a lady who killed her husband. I'm just, I really am. <laughs> Lord, Lord, Lord. I am. Let uh, us pray. <laughs> I'm not gonna kill Lord my husband, however. My, 
I was born, I was born three months early, and so my mom was looking in the paper, she needed a name really quick, and she did not want people to um, look at my name and decide my future. And that's how I became Kathleen Marie. Mm. So I remember getting to the interview and the principal saying, um, are you, I said, I'm here for an interview, and she said, oh, you are? I said, yes, I'm Kathleen. <laughs> um, because I always try to make sure that how I look on paper, it doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. If I get to the table, the rest is history. Hmm. Um, and so that's, it's wow. important. Wow, praise God. So in hmm. that first teaching experience in the classroom, there wasn't one student in that room that looked like me. Um, and I believe that that set the cycle at that campus where um, there were multiple people who looked like me after I left, and that was in Garland ISD. Amen. Amen. Hello. Oh. Um, so um, I'll say like twofold. So kind of um, what Dr. Reba was saying earlier, definitely not a lot of African-American women um, doing what I do at my, at my job now. It's like a group of 60 of us, and there's like three of us that are there. So I definitely get the professional aspect. But even talking to patients, like, I've had patients say to me, like, um, even just last week, like, someone, please send me a white. Um, so I definitely get it from professionally, but also from the patients that I see, if they have preferences of what their, of what their um, doctor looks like, you have to figure out how to maneuver that, like, because if she's not willing to accept care from a black person, should I give her to one of my Caucasian colleagues, or should I just say, you're going to get what you get? <laughs> and that's the end of it. Um, but I definitely get some of those situations at work now. And I, you know, so that definitely is something that is challenging. Amen. Amen. Is there, aren't they keeping it real, y'all? Uh, if, if this was too much for anybody, you know, we have. Uh... Go ahead. Well, kind of like uh, Brother Fleming was saying about, uh, I've only had this really when I was coaching, and it's kind of the reason why I got out of coaching, um, because there was a time when only black coaches could get jobs in inner cities, like Dallas Carter, you know, Fort Worth ISD, where the facilities are not as great as the suburban schools. So I, my goal was to be a head coach, but looking at successful black coaches who never got the opportunity to get their own program, run their own program because of what they look like, it kind of sent me on a different path, which I am grateful for. But I remember when I came to Duncanville, and Duncanville was, was all black but the head coach was white. And so he demanded so much from the coaching staff. And one day I told him, I said, listen, I said, do you know how hard it is for me to work for you when all I'm gonna be for you is an assistant coach? And he looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, the saying is this, y'all can coach our kids, but we can't coach y'all kids. I said, for example, if South Lake Carroll came open, I guarantee you, they would not interview any person that looks black. Guarant just, just because it's South Lake Carroll. 
But look at you now. You're sitting in this seat, and Dunkerville don't look nothing like you. They look like me. But there's no way I'll get an opportunity to ever be here because of what I look like. So that kind of sent me on a different path because we kind of had words because it was, by that, by that time I was, I, was, I was heated. And so we had to go down to the AD's office. I'm in another office. And on a wall in Dunkerville ISD, in the athletic room, there is a head coaches list or pictures. And it has all the pictures of all the head coaches that coach a sport in Duncanville at the high school. At that time, it was only maybe one black face on that wall. And we had like 12, 16 sports going on. And the demographics of Duncanville were, at that time, about 70% black, 30% Hispanic, and maybe Point. <laughs> Remember, she's named after someone who killed her husband. Point, point to other, <laughs> all right? And so I told her, and, this, and this, she, was, she was a female, she was a female AD, white female AD. And I said, listen, there's an issue here at Duncanville. I said, look at that wall. What do you see on that wall? And she just looked, I said, that wall doesn't represent what's here at Duncanville. And so we, we had issues, we had issues. And you know, she was in HR, so she had to, she had to come over and, and save me because I was about to get fired. I was hot, I was hot. But, but I, I, will, I will say this, today, today, if you look at that same wall, because I was in that room yesterday to attract me, that same wall, now you have about 10 black faces on that wall. So things are changing, things are changing, but it, it, was, it was hard, it was hard. And I was, you know, I didn't come up in the 80s or the 90s. I came up in the 90s, but I'm talking about as a professional, I was in the 2000s, and we're still dealing with this. So I knew it was an issue, but I had to say something, and that's probably why I had to change, because they were like, no, nah, we can't have this. <laughs> up in oh here. Oh my, oh my. Well, just like I said, just remember what your, your wife was named after. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, this thing is uh, malfunctioning, but Brother Dedrick Jennings did come in, uh, kind of introduce yourself, and he, has, he probably has the most humble job. Uh, or the, the, go ahead, I'll let you. I'm Dedrick Jennings. I'm the uh, co-founder and owner of Sacred Inc. Uh, sacred Inc. is uh, sacred funeral homes, sacred florists, sacred transportation, sacred travel, uh, and so on and so on. So we get you ready on this side and that side. <laughs> yes, yeah. how ironic to have doctors and a mortician on the same panel. <laughs> uh, I want to, uh, I want to ask this question, and, and uh, we, we just want to move along. There are some other questions I want to ask. How does what you do, because we're talking about black lives that matter, uh, but they not only matter, but they should make a difference. 
what do you do, how does what you do make a difference in other people's lives? And if you can share, and everybody may not get a chance to answer this question because, for the sake of time, but at least a few of you share an experience you had that told you that what you're doing is making a difference in people's lives. Um, so the story I just shared about the person wanting a white, like the opposite also happens. Like a lot of African-American patients are really excited when they see a black doctor. Um, a lot of them usually don't come to the doctor and their body finally was like, you need to go to the hospital. So it's kind of like when they're there, they're kind of like a trapped audience for me. <laughs> um, and they ask all the questions they've been wanting to ask. If there's family in there that's not even the patient, like I've had families say who are coming to visit, they're like, oh, you're the doctor. Um, I, let me ask you about this other thing. So. When I started experiencing that more firsthand, I was like, wow, like I really have a lot of influence and people, because I am black, like black people are more likely to trust me, to trust what I say. Um, and it really, it just, it, it, it allows them to get the questions answered and get the healthcare that they need because they're com coming to someone that they trust. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. You. You know when you're making a difference. We got doctors up. We got doctors. Go ahead. You know when you're making a difference in other people's lives when you're walking in your calling. When you know that God has called you to do a thing mm. uh, and it becomes evidence in how you bless others. Uh, I was blessed to have two callings. He called me into the ministry to preach the gospel. Also, he called me into my mortuary profession. Uh, at a young age uh, was I called into both of my professions. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't take it for granted, uh, but I'm good at what I do. Uh, and I know this because God has blessed me to do what I do yeah. and to him yeah. be the glory. Yeah. And so I let him use my hands. My, my, my voice to bless other people. And I take pride in that. I, you know, what we do at, at, at Sacred, we don't just throw it together, but uh, we, 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 we think about what we do before we do it at home, at work, because it's our calling, it's a part of our life. And so therefore, uh, if I don't make a difference in others' life, then I know that I'm not walking in my calling. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, I would say I, I never meant to for the educational path to take me to human resources, but I think it's a, it's a, it's been a blessing for me, and it's also been a blessing for others. Um, one of the things that I have an opportunity to do is meet people when they're looking for jobs, um, and and it gives me an opportunity to give back. I always tell people I can't get you a job; I can get you to the table, but the, you have to do what you need to do once you get to the table, and so. It's amazing, not just as a, as a black female, but also as a member of the church, there are so many people in Duncanville ISD who um, have been able to relate to because they are members of the church there. So much so that one of our uh, maintenance guys, um, last week I had a, a chance to sit down with him with his resume because that's something I love to do. If you email me your resume, I love to do that. I love to look at people's resumes and get them all ready for whatever it is that they want to do. And he came to the office and said, I need to see Sister Brown. <laughs> so um, he always called me, I'm looking for Sister Brown. I don't want to see anybody but Sister Brown. And so 
Um, my, I remember my secretary saying, he always called you, is he your brother? Because she made everybody. <laughs> <laughs> my brother and cried, so he gave us the opportunity to kind of talk further about that. But in HR, um, people have an opportunity to substitute with us. We've had a lot of people to come to teach in Duncanville, opportunities to look at their resumes, help them with what an experience and an interview would look like. And that's just a passion that I have is because I think I always tell my girls, no matter where you go, you need to be doing this. You need to be reaching back and doing what? Pulling somebody else with you. And so that just gives me great pleasure. So Amen. 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 We'll take a couple of more on this question. This is, this is, this is really good. Go ahead. Okay. So I realize it is God that has made me, and I realize that all my talents and skills and successes are due to God's blessings. But the real beauty of my blessings is that God uses me as a vehicle to influence, to motivate, and encourage others. I'm a good coach. I'm a good mentor. I'm a positive role model. And by working with these kids and the blessings that God has given me and extended those to share with others has allowed me to make a change, a very positive change in my community by influencing people to do, do things better, see things better, see things different, and, and excel to be their best. Amen. 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 Um, when I was a high school counselor in Cedar Hill, um, I really intentionally tried what I did Every student that walked in, I treated them just as they were my child. That was no difference. I made sure they had goals, plans, that they were cared for, whatever they needed. You know, I bought food, just did the above and beyond, because I really, really cared about those students. And um, likewise, in private practice, I still do the same thing when um, people come to see me. When my clients come in, I want to ensure that although they are struggling mentally, that I can be a light and make a difference and make sure that they have goals, they have plans, and that they know that they are truly, truly cared for. And I'm just not doing this because you pay me to come in here and sit and talk to me, but I just truly care about the individual. Amen. Amen. Go, go ahead. I saw you guys. Go ahead. Well, I just wanted to share that I think somewhere along my journey as a physician, I realized that, that it wasn't about being a physician because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so, you know, mine is just a ministry, you know, uh, helping people, helping people. When they come back and say, Dr. White, you remember when I didn't have any money and you gave me a couple dollars when I came in your office? I did? Oh, okay. I mean, some things you just do naturally in helping people and serving people and taking care of patients. You know, you get patients that come in and they know nothing about God. And so my mom used to work in my office and, you know, she'd be in there uh, having a little session, little come to Jesus session. You know, it was okay because it was our office that God provided us with. And it was a vehicle to be able to reach people where they were and to try to help them go where they may need to be. And so just changing lives, changing lives is what I've done for 30 years. And I've got, I can't imagine doing anything else. I'm a difference maker. Amen. Bless God. Bless God. Bless God. Well, this next question is going to, it may be a little, may be a little heated. It, it, it is. Um, um, let me just put it like this. In this society that uh, often displays through media, social media, uh, acts of social prejudice, social racism, injustice, uh, can you talk a little bit about why uh, 
African Americans should not use social injustice and racism and prejudice as a crutch for not excelling and for not settling for mediocrity. Um, <laughs> I, I, I could start there. Um, you know, as an official, you get to touch a lot of lives. And, and I've, I've been all over the country, being in the schools and talking to athletes. And I was uh, in my alma mater, Carter. He was talking about, I went to Dallas Carter, I'm proud. But anyway, I went back there to have a, a session and just talking to the athletes. And one of the guys was like, well, you know, last year we played this suburb, suburb school. And one of the guys called me the N-word during the game. And so I said, well, what did you do? Of course, us. When you called us out of our names, it's totally different. We're going zero to 80 real quick. So I said, well, you have to realize that anytime somebody approaches you like that, a lot of time as an official, we don't hear what they said. We just see your reaction. So it's not about what they call you. It's about what you answer to. <laughs> I said, because at the end of the day, he can call you all the ends he want to call you. But if you put 80 points up on the board, he's going to call you a champion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bless God. Come on. To, to, well, to me, based on your question, it really, it really doesn't matter to me because I, I understand that when I go into a room where there's an interview, uh, if it's a presentation I have to give, I already know that I have to perform at a certain level just because I'm going in with negative equity going into the situation. Mm. So I prepare mm. myself so that when I do it, when, they, when I leave, they're like, okay, that, he know a little something. And I always say this, I, I, I dress up and, I, and people always say, man, you, you sharp, you sharp. And I always say this, well, I look the part so people think that I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because there is, and young black men and women, Amen. presentation is everything. It's everything. If you walk through the door and you don't look the part, you already lose points. First, impre first impression is the last impression, I'm telling you. Because if you, if you come slouchy, you gotta do that much more to prove that you're worthy of what you're trying to do. Now, if you come and you look the part, you can afford to slip, on, slip up on a few questions because you look good. Look tight, play tight. Play tight, they pay right. <laughs> so that's, and I kind of messed it up a little bit. That's a, that's a, that's a football thing we used to do man, when you used to, before we go out and play, make sure we all nice and neat and all that. But just, just remember that. Remember, remember this, it's, it's presentation is key. Always overly prepare for what you're trying to do. That goes with appearance. That goes with in your, your presentation. Get up and practice what you have to do. Some of you guys, I'm talking to young folks, not y'all old folks, young folks. You, some of you guys at an age where you're gonna start interviewing for jobs, whether you're getting out of college, whether you're 16 and you're trying to get a job at even McDonald's or something. Presentation is key, I'm telling you. 
when I do interviews, and I, I look out for our people. I try to. So I'm looking, when I'm going through, this HR here, I can't. When I'm going through the list of names, when I'm going through the list of names, I look, at, I look at names, and I look for people that look like us. They can deal with our people. I want them at the table. But when you come to the table, you better deliver. Because I can't fight that battle when you come in there with flip-flops on. What? <laughs> I'm gonna do mm, with that. Mm, you may be mm. the greatest teacher, but they're gonna say, well, she, she didn't look professional. Right. Anyway. Right. Thank you. Being, Amen. Being black can be to your disadvantage. Being a Christian is always to your advantage. Always remember that, that irregardless of how people look at you, there's someone looking over people that's looking at you. And what I've come to discover is that a hookup is good, but the hookup. Oh, you're trying to preach now. You because when you got the hookup, he can hook you up with some people that want you unhooked. Amen. I think, Go ahead. I think it's important, and this is something that I still struggle with, um, that it don't, like, whatever is, whatever is going on in society does not change the assignment that God gave us personally. So just because you don't feel like society is set up for you to be a physician, that don't mean that once your assignment. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like it, like being media, like being mediocre is never acceptable because what goes on, what goes on down here don't matter. So if you've gotten an assignment from the Lord, it doesn't matter if society says statistically you will never be this particular thing. Like God gave you that particular assignment. And that's something that I struggle with because I don't necessarily always feel like I belong at the table, even though I'm at the table. But that feeling also don't matter because he gave me an assignment. So even if you're going after something that seems so big and you don't even understand how I'm supposed to be at this table because people don't look like me, because I talk slang and I don't speak correctly. If God told you to be at that table, pull your, like, pull your own your big girl drawers and be at that table. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, because it don't, like, it don't matter. And you're not always gonna believe, you're not always gonna believe in yourself. Like, you're not right. always gonna believe in yourself. And I'm telling you now, like, on here with my three degrees, I don't always believe in myself, but that shouldn't stop you from sitting at the table that God put at, like, put for you. Amen. Right, right. Right, you know, you know, uh, is this helping anybody? When, uh, when, uh, when, when they wanted to keep an elephant in the zoo, they gave him a stump and a chain. Uh, when they want to keep uh, an inmate in prison, they gave him uh, 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 prison bars and, and, a, and with a lock on it. And sometimes when you want to keep some of us African-Americans from excelling, Give us an excuse. And, medi and, and, and our ethnicity should never, ever be uh, why we decide, as you said, not to take our assignment, not to come to the table, 
Go ahead, Brother Parson. So let me speak the truth for just a second. We are a strong people. We have a great history. We are the first man, the creators and inventors of civilization, science, astrology, medicine. We can't let conditions, whether they be social, whether it be racial, prejudice, or any other constraints, take us away from realizing that we are the great kings and queens of this world. And we must always realize our potential and success. Hey, go ahead. Can I say that? That's good. As an official, one of the things that they tell us always not to do, we have to go through social um, uh, media uh, classes and tell us what not to, what to put on Facebook. And I was like, young folk, keep your business off Facebook. The crazy thing about it, what I don't get, our young folk will go out and commit a crime, post it on Facebook, and wonder how they got caught. <laughs> it's you. It's you. So everything, everything that you go through your life is not Facebook worthy. So keep some of that stuff to yourself. Because as an official, if you want the fastest way to get out of the officiate business, because uh, I, I am one of the finalists for the NFL. I've been on the list for a while. That's not, that's something else. But what they use to keep you off of, besides your color, is what you say on social media. It's what you do on social media. So I try not to post a lot of things because the little things that we think we're just having fun doing, society has figured out a way to use it against us. Amen, amen. Let's give them a hand. Go ahead, Sister Brown. To your question about why we shouldn't let our ethnicity um, give us an excuse to be mediocre, self-talk is very important. Um, and so what you constantly feed yourself, what you tell yourself, it becomes your reality. It really mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. um, and I struggled with that for a very long time. I, I would tell myself things about myself, and if, if I believe that, then I can't feel bad when somebody else believes that and treats me that way, right? So when, when, when you're going to school, if it's in your job, in your workplace, and you're trying to get to that next thing, you need to tell yourself that you can do it. I, 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 my girls always tell me if I'm doing something like this, don't talk about us, but they are, they're my, my clay. <laughs> Y'all have given me them, so I'm trying to mold them into being good people, and so I constantly, because girls, deal, teenage girls deal with a lot of things, especially little teenage African-American girls, the skin I'm in, being able to appreciate who I am. Um, I constantly tell them, Use that negative energy and that negative feedback. Instead of telling yourself those negative thoughts, flip that around. Flip that around and make that make you stronger. Because I tell the little one all the time, she'll say, this girl at school, I say, well, you, this is when your mind, you say, you think you are mad now, right? You think you're upset now. I'm gonna make you real mad, go get it. That's the best way to kind of make yourself know that you can do something is going after it full force. And so I've learned as an adult, to use all of that negative energy to propel me forward. Um, the job that I'm in now, um, there were four um, Caucasian individuals who held this job before, and I remember this is the person you see when you get a job, and Darwin was so upset with me because I took a pay cut going from the classroom to being an administrator. He was like, baby, that just don't add up. Like, how do you go backwards to be an administrator? And there weren't African-American administrators in Duncanville at that time, there just weren't. There had been one other black principal, and I did the math and it just didn't add up, honestly, you all. And so I went to the 
HR person, and I, I, she had, had written my pay on a sticky note in my file, and I said, I think that was a mistake. I said, I did the math, my husband did the math, and I actually took a pay cut to take this job. And she looked me dead in my face and said, well, you know, sometimes you will have to go backwards to go forward. And I was so upset about it, I didn't tell him because y'all know Darwin. <laughs> and so I was like, oh my goodness, you know, and so, but I, I sat in that room and that is how I'm in HR right now. I looked at her and I thought, I'm not going to argue with you, nothing. I'm going to take this backwards, but I'm going to take your job. That's what I told myself when I was sitting in her office. I, I told myself, I'm going to be the you so that this doesn't happen to anybody else that looks like me. And so I remember when I got named as the Director of Human Resources, my superintendent, who was an African-American male at that time, the first um, African-American superintendent in Duncanville, he came down with her phone number on a sticky note. He said, call her, tell her you're in her chair. I said, no, <laughs> I'll let him take care of it. So use that negative energy to, to push you forward. Amen, amen. Uh, so, uh, I, 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 I just want, I'm hoping that everybody on the panel, and what wonderful, powerful words. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm excited that all of you are getting a taste of how quickly also time flies when you're up here. Uh, it, really, it really does fly, and so. I know I'll have sensitivity from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight when it comes to preaching uh, and how quickly time gets away. But I do want to ask, uh, I do want you to address one more thing um, because there's a balance between ethnocentricity, uh, ethnic, being ethnic central and being Christocentral. You know, uh, here we are in the church we have society, we have prejudice, we have racism, we have injustice. As the church, uh, according to the scriptures, we cannot be or aspire to be a black church. So how do we find the balance between having the right amount of pride, positive pride, in our ethnicity, yet understanding that there's something greater than your skin, but you know, he that saved us from sin is greater than our sin, our skin. How do we find that balance? Because at the end of the day, if it's the will of God that this is a multi-ethnic church, how do we find that balance uh, between the ills that, we, that you deal with and we all deal with in society versus how it should be in the kingdom. Because at the end of the day, church, Christ didn't die for a black church. He didn't die for a black church. He didn't die for a white church. Black lives matter. All lives matter. How do you find the balance between black lives that matter in society and all lives that matter in Christ? That, that has to be found in uh, uh, God's commandment to us to love one another. Uh, that's a great challenge that we as believers have uh, because it's easy to love those that look like us and that are for us. 
uh, than it is those that don't look like us and are against us. Uh, as it relates to the church becoming multicultural, I firmly believe only God can do that. Uh, because, um, you know, we, we do as a people prove to be receptive of different uh, nationalities, but they don't want to come over here. Uh, I opened my business when we relocated to Cedar Hill, uh, not putting Chandra and our faces all over everything because uh, we didn't want to just bury black people. We wanted to bury dead folk. We don't care what. We work for green money. We don't work for it. And so intentionally, we didn't put our, we didn't put our faces everywhere because uh, um, we didn't want everybody to think it was a black funeral home. And it, 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 it hurt us. It was kind of bittersweet because what we discovered in three years was all of the black folk in Cedar Hill thought we were white, and all of the white folk would go on our website and see we were black. <laughs> and so it was amazing, because black people would come into the business and would be just overwhelmed, because we did not know this was a black funeral home. And white people have called us out to pick up their loved one, at the time of death, and we knocked on the door, and they looked at us and said, wrong funeral home. <laughs> yeah, that, that still happens today. So it, even as it relates to the church, some things God himself can only do as bringing us together. But our part is as simple as loving one another. We have to learn as people of God how to love. We've been talking about that during this month, and uh, 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 we're going to continue to. But, y'all, we got to. And, and it's a challenge because uh, Jesus says this is a new commandment. And throughout the New Testament, you find them saying, love one another, love one another. And the reason he keeps saying it because it's so hard for us to do. Right, right. We're not getting it. We, we don't have a problem loving folk that look like us. You don't believe me? Yeah, let somebody come knock on your door with a need and see which one you have first. So love has no, no color. Love has no ethnicity. Amen. I just want to piggyback on that love part because, you know, they say love covers a multitude of stuff. And so, you know, when you're in your, in your profession, you know, you can't pick and choose who you're gonna get. You know, I go in the room and I don't know who's behind there, black, white, yellow, whatever, but I'm gonna love, I love what I do, I love helping. And so, you know, it's gonna personify, it's gonna show, it's not gonna be prejudice. When it comes to, to church, we gotta show love. I, I believe that's, uh, that's what's wrong with the White House right now. Ain't no love up in there. Uh -huh. And love's gonna take over that White House one day, just mm -hmm. like it's gonna take over the church one day. Mm -hmm. Because we gotta show love. We gotta show love. The people who have nothing to eat, the people who have no clothes. You know, I had a chance to go to the Bahamas back in um, October as a mission, medical mission relief. And I tell you what, that changed my whole view on stuff. When I went into a room of a thousand people, all they had was a cot and the clothes on their back because things got washed away. That's all they had. Those people had nothing but to show them some hope. They had something for us to just come and say, hey, you got some hope. You're alive. There's a God who loves you. Oh, my God, it just made a big 
difference in my life in coming back over here to America. We take for granted that we have lights. We take for granted we have, we take everything for granted and we really have so much over here. And to see somebody who has nothing, it shows love. To just, just show some love. That's what's gonna take to grow the church. Amen, amen. I, I think we're all saying a common thing. Uh, it's been selfless. You have to remove yourself out of the way in order to grow. Uh, and I give you this story. Uh, to be, to grow and officiate, you have to pay a lot of money. You have to go to a lot of different camps. And so the first three years when I got into college, I spent a lot of money. And every time I went to a camp uh, to get picked up into a major college conference, I always left disappointed. And so I prayed about it. And I asked God, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I'm in shape, I run fast, all this. and it wasn't about that until I took myself out of it. And I told myself, Lord, when I go to this next camp, it's not about me. I'm not about here to show me, I'm here just to have a good time, and I'm here to absorb and learn. From that point forward, my, my college career took off. And I went from small college to the Big 12, and. And uh, I've been to so many games. I've worked the national championship. I worked the Rose Bowl, one of the biggest games you can ever work as an official. But I had to remove me first. Mm. So if we want this congregation to grow, if you want your life to grow, if you want to touch somebody, it's not about you. It's not about us. God died for all of us. He mm -hmm. don't care about color, skin, whether you got money, whether you broke. Uh, I, don't, I don't see nowhere in the Bible where it reads that this wealthy spirit came to the Father because the Father don't care about your wealth. He don't right. care about your color. So we're gonna have to remove ourselves uh, before we grow in at any place at any rate. Amen, amen. This is what we're gonna do uh, uh, so that we can stay on with time, on, uh, stay on time. Uh, the Bible says, given it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give to your bosom. We don't give simply because we want a blessing. We give because we have been blessed. And we give because we know there's nothing we can give God that he can't give it back double, triple. And it's not all about money. Sometimes it's about rebuking the devourer. And so we do this because we understand the harvest principle. If you want a great harvest, you have to have a great planting. And you sow in faith and you reap in joy and so that being said we're going to ask the brothers to take the offering now while we still engage in this so that we can make this uh we can still buy this time and use this time and uh get a few more of these comments in is that all right church uh, amen and the bible says god loves a what what kind of giver that word cheerful means hilarious, okay? And if you don't write a check, remember we have uh, give it, GiveLify, PayPal, and I believe they can still give online. Just real quick to that point, because I'm the finance guy too. <laughs> uh, I know we're still, there was an uh, instance last week where somebody's still trying to uh, use uh, Cash App. Again, remember that Cash App limits us to the amount of money we can bring in because Cash App, Cash App within itself is a free service. So they're gonna allow us to bring in $250 over so many day period. So we ask that if you 
uh, will use either uh, Givelify or PayPal or just write one of the big checks that you like writing that make you happy. We like right. that too. <laughs> yes. If you want to just drop $20,000, uh, God will bless you fourfold. We pray God bless you fourfold. Do it today. While, while this blood is still running warm in your veins. Uh, I want to ask another question because uh, this is something that comes up, uh, particularly in the black community. Um, when Moses, before Moses transitioned and went to the wilderness of Midian, the last thing he had done that got him in trouble is he saw two Egyptians, fight, two Israelites fighting and he tried to intervene. The time before that, he saw an Egyptian abusing an Israelite, and he intervened there, and killed the, uh, uh, he killed the Egyptian. When the two Israelites were fighting, Moses, as an Israelite, saying, I'm one of you, intervened, and they turned on Moses, and basically said, you think you're going to do us like you did that Egyptian. Which is evidence, even in scripture, that racism can be within the same race. That there can be some issues within the same race. Uh, black lives matter, but before they matter to law enforcement, before they matter to the government, before they matter to white people or Asians or any other group of people, they have to matter to us. What advice do you have so that we as black people can uh, uh, dodge, duck, and weave having the spirit of interracial racism and prejudice? This because, uh, I'm sorry, somebody said that, you know, you, you wanna, they wanted a doctor that looked like them. But there are situations, and this is just real talk, where sometimes you don't want, people don't want somebody that looks like them because for whatever reason. So how do we change that? Go ahead, Brother Darwin. Well, I think it starts... It starts, it starts when kids are, are young, because being in the middle school, I see it every day. So conversations I have with kids is all about interracial situations where um, social media is big, or she said that my shoes look like this. A lot of that stuff comes from people hating on each other. So it starts young. And so a lot of times when we deal with that, we have this thing going on now in Duckville, it's called social-emotional learning. So we're trying to teach kids how to understand how people feel based on your actions. Now, and this, this takes, this is not a overnight act. This happens over time. Because once a kid is programmed to act a certain way based on how they're raised or what they've been brought up in their neighborhood, it takes a long time to decode a long time to decode that. And so dealing with that is frustrating because and I can, I'm the same way. I look at I, I, I look at our kids. I look at our kids in the school system and sometimes it makes me sick. 
it makes me sick because the way they talk to each other, the way they talk to teachers, the way they present themselves, it's, it's, it's embarrassing for, for me because I represent the black race as well. Um, and if you, go, if you go and you look at test scores across the state of Texas, African-American kids score lower than whites, but also lower than Hispanics. And I look at that, I'm like, how in the world do we score lower than a, than a race that has language barriers? They, some of them just came into the country. So, so where does that come from? How do we, and I don't know how to change that. I really don't know how to change it because it keeps me up at night when I see our kids fight, when I see our kids disrupting class. But then you go look at their grades, they making 32s, 44s, 58s. And you call home and mama like, they said a lot of different stuff. <laughs> a lot of different stuff. And it's like, what you're saying is not equating to what's going on here. And so, you, and you feel bad for some parents, because some parents don't know what to do. They're just like, Mr. Brown, I just, I just, just call the police, just lock them up. Uh, it's not that easy. We can't handle kids like that, because what we're doing, we're setting them up for failure from the get-go when you want to call the police and say, hey, we're dealing with this kid. So in order, I done forgot what, you, what, you, what the question was. <laughs> but, in, in a but I do know, it start, I, I think mean, it's, it, start, it, start, it starts young. Because if we don't get them young, that you're gonna always be, if you're a hater when you're little, you're gonna be a hater when you're older. Mm -hmm. Because now those, now those Nikes that you're hating about becomes a car that you're hating about, or becomes a house that you're hating about, or becomes that job that you didn't get, but the other guy got it and you're hating on that. So if we can reframe the thinking process of kids when they're young and let them know, guys, if you want that, use that as a motivation and go get it. Go work for it. Yes, my wife says something about, about my daughters. I always say this, when they get into a situation or adversity hits them, I'm happy for it. I'm happy about it. Because I want them to go through that. You're not gonna always be a winner in life. And that's what's wrong with these kids now. We wanna give a trophy for every single thing. You get, you get a place out of nine, and they wanna give you a trophy. No, uh, no, get better. You go to work. You know, that's my deal. But when you do that, now everybody's looking for a handout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when they don't get their handout later on in life, now they really hate. Well, I don't get it. Well, I didn't get that. Well, because you didn't work hard. You didn't prepare yourself. All that stuff plays a factor. So I'm glad when they go through adversity, good. Now, I ain't going to let them just be in the bottom for too long. I'm going to pull them up because I'm daddy. But you got to go through some of that so you can learn how to deal with those valleys in life. Because valleys in life are real. And if you don't deal with it now, when you become adult, you got your own family, it's going to have you. Whatever. <laughs> Brother Don Brown is fired up, isn't he? <laughs> to you, um, go ahead. To you, future <laughs> entrepreneurs and uh, business owners, one of the uh, pieces of advice that I want to give to you is that when you do go in business and start your business, be honest and fair. Do what you say and only say what you want to do. 
one of the greatest challenges that we face with our people is that they are not honest and fair. I have to remind myself all the time that I can't stop, I cannot stop dealing with uh, black contractors and black plumbers and black electricians because I done got over, some of them got over on me. And that's generally what happened. We don't want to go to a black mechanic because the last one got over on mm. us and we don't want to keep going through that. So I have to remind myself, you're a black business owner yeah. and you don't want people to leave you for whatever reason. So, and we experience it. We experience those that just won't do right. right, right, right. And so we use other races of business for businesses. So young people do right. If you can't do it, don't tell nobody you're going to do it. Say that again. Because that's what they're going to expect right. you to do. Be honest, fair, have integrity. Yeah. He, I'm sorry. He, he got me shaking. This ain't nothing about football. I don't even care because I'm a finance guy by heart. If you have a business in here, raise your hand. If, if you own your own business, raise your hand. And all of those who are consumers of those businesses, as a finance guy, stop going to these folks looking for hookups. You want to go to them to give you a discount, but you go right across. If you, own, if you own a clothing store, if Stephanie owned a clothing store, we'll walk in there, girl, I know you're going to hook me up right. and such and such. But we will take out behind, right across the street, the Macy's and pay right, full price. Right, right. Mm. Mm. And I don't understand that. <laughs> Work with your people. Do right. Yeah. Pay, do your job, what you say you're going to do, and pay these folk what it's worth. Stop yeah. trying to do the hookup. Right. They got another word for it. We'll use it another time. Yeah, that, that, yeah. And, and I just want to say that, you know, the, what's going on with our young people, we've got to instill self confidence in them mm -hmm. and we've got to instill self-esteem in them so therefore when they go to school they're not showing out they showing out because they don't have any confidence they're trying to be somebody they're not and that integrity self-esteem self-confidence integrity it hinges on amen amen let's give them a hand i uh this is this is good this is this is excellent uh, I want to do something a little different. Right, right now we're going, we're, we're technically into our Sunday school time, but uh, uh, Bible class time, but uh, where's soon to be Bishop Bill? Where's Bishop Bill? Can we take about 10 minutes? Yes or no? 10 minutes. All right. Got your blessing? Okay, move quickly whenever we move. That's Coach Beal. Um, uh, I wanted to take two questions from the audience. This is an extemporaneous thing. This is not quite naturally on your list because I, I believe this is important. We, we didn't have a black history program this year. Uh, and I think that um, better than black history program uh, this year uh, has been hearing from history in the making because black history is the present that time left behind. That's all it is. And as sure as time keeps moving forward, everything in the present will become black history. 
So these are doctors making history. These are coaches making history. These are administrators making history and accountants and referees and, and counselors and morticians making history. All of us are making history. Um, they made a point about having integrity uh, so that we do want to support each other. The other thing I want to mention, and we need, after this we'll take two questions, is uh, that sometimes racism happens or prejudice happens based on, within African American communities, based on complexion, based on hair texture, based on, on attraction, based on a lot of, a lot of extrinsic things. You know, whether or not you're light-skinned. There, there are communities and there are blacks uh, within the black community that have an issue with you if you're fair-skinned. We have to matter to us. It doesn't matter if we matter to anybody else. We got to matter to us and know that we matter to God and know that we matter by making a difference. Are there any questions? We'll take two questions and then we'll end this uh, with uh, a prayer. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Thank you. So, Brother Hamilton, exactly what you were just kind of leading into was exactly. Um, geared toward my question, because um, we've spoken a lot about, you know, being the only black person amongst other whites and the lack of opportunity with certain jobs and feeling like, you know, you're not welcome at the top. But my question is, how do you deal with when you receive um, hatred or when you receive, um, <clears throat> I guess, bad talk from fellow black people for your skin color, for your hair texture, things of that nature. How do you continue to speak life into other blacks when they continue to try to take life from you? Mm. You know? Mm. That's my question. Well put, well put. Well, I'm just gonna piggyback right on that self-esteem and self-confidence. You know, um, when you know who you are and feel good about yourself, there's really I mean, it may hurt you. They say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words really don't hurt. You know, so we just have to have a posture. And I know it's painful, but it takes time. And sometimes you gotta just keep living, keep having some, some ups and downs, but you gotta be rooted and grounded in your confidence and who you are and what you're doing. You're being a purpose, mm -hmm. being a changer, but you gotta have that self-esteem, self-confidence, because they gonna come for you. Everybody yeah. coming for you. Right. They coming for you. I think also um, it's it's important to know who you are, and it's also okay to like um, I would say love from a distance because I, I was told early to always be mindful of the person who always likes to be the only black person in the room. Like sometimes we are we are naturally competitive, so there can't be two of us. That's what we tell ourselves. That's why we tear each other down. That's why we talk about people's hair textures or their skin color or whatever, because society has taught us that there's not room for all of us. And some of us literally still move in that. So if you, I would say if you encounter that, um, first off, make sure you're not that person. And then if you encounter that person, it's okay to say, okay, 
I, I'm happy that we're both here. I don't necessarily have to surround myself with you all the time. Like I can love you like from over there. We can both work here, but we don't necessarily have to, you know, because I know where you're at and I'm not there. Amen. I want to add this. Uh, uh, God, the, the enemy is the master of manipulation. Now, manipulation is control with you as the middleman. That's what manipulation is. The devil can't make you do anything. Your haters can't make you do anything. Through manipulation, they can get you to do something. So the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So the Holy Spirit helps us to control ourselves because at the end of the day, the only person that you can control is you. Uh, and uh, there's a practice called reframing, and this will bless somebody's life. Sometimes when you're up against somebody who's cantankerous, somebody who's honest, who is honestly just downright envious for whatever reason, maybe you, you're light complexioned. Maybe that's an issue, and I'm sure you've had that issue. Maybe there's somebody here that's, uh, that, that's, that's biracial. Uh, that issue comes up. Reframe people. Jesus did it. He did it when they were nailing him to the cross. He said, watch this, he put the people that were doing it in a frame called ignorance. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Learn to put people in the frame. Uh, it works. I'm going to tell you how, how much it works. If somebody stepped on your foot, the first reaction might be something violent to say something or, or to lash back. But if you notice that it was someone who did not have full mental capacity, there's something in you that pulls back. You don't curse out somebody who's, who has a retardation for doing something like that. At the, so so um, the reason why you don't is because you have them in a frame that gives you an ability to cope. Well, in addition to retardation, there's spiritual immaturity. Low self-esteem. Learn to put people in that frame and say, oh, because when you put them in that frame, that frame will help you regulate your expectation of them. And that will bless your life. That will save you from saying something you... Okay, I saw a hand over here. Okay, Brother Beal. Where are the bishops? Amen? Bishop Gay, Bishop Twyman, where are you? All right, the elders said yes. All right. It looked like they were going to stay in here anyway. <laughs> Brother Hamilton. Uh, oh, where am I? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I wanted to, if I could say something um, to our sister. Um, one of the things that I, I constantly tell um, people is that ignorance doesn't have a color. It just doesn't. Ignorance comes in all colors, shapes, forms, and fashions. But I think that we aren't willing to have conversations with people. And that is a powerful thing. And so when you experience something, um, you either do one or two things. You either deal with the situation and have the conversation, or you go away and you feel some type of way about it, right? I read something, I think it was someone here 
um, at church that posted yesterday. She said, why, um, she said, why do we keep asking why people are sucking the life out of us if we keep giving them the straw? And mm. I thought, wow, that's profound. And I remember responding, that'll preach because I've experienced that, but I'm a person that I'll have a conversation with anybody. So when you experience something that, that happens that way, be willing to talk to the person about it because sometimes people don't know how ignorant they are in their thinking and their actions and you give them power to continue if you don't have the conversation. Um, because so as a, as a community, as a race, we make things bigger because we don't deal with it. We don't deal with a lot of things. We don't deal with a lot of hurt. We don't deal with a lot of uh, racism in our own you know, race. We just let things go. And when you keep letting things go, they, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. So have the conversation. Um, when that happens to you, it would be my advice to you. Amen. Yes, go ahead. Thank you, Brother Lee. Lee Williams, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? My name is Tay. Um, I just wanted to ask my fellow business owner, um, what was your uh, journey as far as your um, struggles as, as, as far as establishing your uh, business? And how did you overcome those? You know, the interesting thing about my business was I did not want to go in business. Uh, this was my wife's dream to go in business, and she led me to believe that once we got open, because her father was a very prominent pastor in Dallas, that business would just flock to us. Uh, after a few months of being open, that was not happening. And so uh, uh, maybe six months into business, I realized you got to make something happen. But I was always the back door man. I was not the front door man. And so I did not think that I had the ability to make anything happen. Uh, and that's when I realized, even at the beginning of my business uh, uh, endeavor, I had to depend solely on the Lord. Now, my business strategy is a lot different than most people's because uh, we had no money starting out, uh, nor did we had, have backing. My business is totally faith motivated. I learned and I knew how to pray and depend on the Lord, but not until uh, the next dollar had to come based on him bringing it to me. And that's literally what he does. What he does. I don't pray for nobody to die. The Lord gonna kill them. <laughs> or other folk will. <laughs> he calls people home every day. So that, yeah, I don't have to pray for nobody to die. But uh, I do ask the Lord to show favor with me so that when they do leave, their families will think of me and give me that opportunity. So my business, I, I totally, and I can tell you story after story about how I saw God bless my business. It's totally dependent on the Lord. I've tried all kind of marketing. None of it works. I've had different advice from other people. None of it works. The only thing that works for me is God. Yeah. Only. Amen. There's a question in the back there, Sister Lynette Allen. Uh, we all want to hear it, so if you would just wait on the Brother Lee Williams, he will pass you amplification. Good morning. 
Um, as we are uh, talking about the piece about self-love, and I know uh, as an educator uh, in Dallas Independent School District, uh, going on 18 years, um, dealing with our African-American uh, students, uh, that love piece is very, very big, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's very interesting. When I say love, I'm talking about their self-love, uh, because we've had conversations where they see uh, somewhere it's kind of fallen short for us, uh, that they see everything, when I'm talking to my African-American students, male or female, they see the beauty in every other culture other than themselves. So for example, a couple years ago, I had a um, just conversation with uh, one of my African-American uh, male students. He was so in love, he thought every Hispanic girl in the school was beautiful. They were gorgeous, they had this, their skin was beautiful. And we had this conversation about all the other black girls who were in the building. Now mind you, we're 85% Hispanic versus 50% uh, uh, African-American. His, but his ideal is, the conversations that they were having, everything that was not black was gorgeous. It was beautiful, beautiful. And, and, and even with those conversations of saying, oh, what, what do you think about such and such, this beautiful uh, African-American student with this flowing long hair or these twists, gorgeous, beautiful skin. She's okay, she's fair, she cute, but this girl over here is gorgeous, she's beautiful. Anything that is not of them, they seem to value as beautiful, as worthy, as, uh, as valuable, as priceless. But anything that we have conversations that's dealing with loving us or loving them, uh, could be their mother or their sister, doesn't hold the same beauty for them. So that says to me something, uh, I don't know, what are some things that we could do as, a, uh, as the models for them to, uh, and you would think that conversation would not happen because we have so many woke things that's happening, so many avenues that we get to see black beauty uh, and so many representatives of that. So a lot of times they're still having those same basic conversations with each other that you're not, uh, if Keisha and Broderick are sitting in the same classroom, he's gonna say, Keisha, you are right, because he's actually said that. But anybody else that's not Keisha is gorgeous, beautiful, priceless. So somewhere there's a deficit that we have to figure out what are some ways that we can encourage our children to see the value of the beauty that we possess, even with all that we already do. Um, so I, I think the thing is, as a, a people, is that a lot of things, a lot of ways that we feel about ourselves is based off of what we see on television. And what we see on television has historically been designed to make us look less than what we are. And so as parents, as young folk, it has to come a point in time where we desire to look deeper into our culture, into our race. My man here was talking about oh, us being the first kings and queens. Do you not know that the first black man that was on American continent was a rich man. He came over a slave, and there was an Anglo-Saxon man that he uh, bought him off a ship. This man and his family were starving to death until this black man came off the ship to help him become who he was. So not only did he help him to rise to who he was, the man eventually gave him his freedom. But the United States, as it was forming, because he did not look like the Anglo-Saxon man, took his inheritance away from it, but a lot of us don't realize that. 
And so until we start enriching our culture and telling people about our history, not the stuff that they put in the books, because a lot of stuff that they put in the books is things that they want us to know. If you think about it, even when, and I'm giving a brief, it's not even football, but <laughs> uh, when Ronald Reagan was the president and they started the whole uh, crackdown on drugs, what is the face that they put on drugs? It was black people. But not one black man on a ship, a plane, or a port that the drugs was coming in. Actually, drugs that start coming into this country through the military. But they put our face on it to make us look like so. We have to enrich ourselves and our culture and our knowledge within and spread that forward and for us to understand who we are because we are kings and queens. We've, we've been on a higher plateau, you know, and so everything that we've ever done, the system has designed to take that away from us and make us look less than we were from the videos that we watch to, I mean, just everything, y'all. We have to do better for our kids and our kids got to be, do better for the future. Amen, amen. We have another question here and uh, we'll take, after this, we'll take three more and, uh, well, yeah, three more. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's your boy. But um, my, uh, <laughs> it's your boy. My my question is um, before I ask the question, I'll make this statement. Um, I think a lot of these problems that we're talking about stem from us uh, not having our own. Uh, you asked us to raise our hand if we own a business, and it's like uh, five people raise their hand. So um, I believe that that causes a lot of these problems. Um, and me and my wife was talking about this one day, and I and she was like. Um, she got to jump through hoops to get promoted at her job, even though she's more qualified than the people who are in that position. And um, I said, what's the only place that's, um, that you can go right now and you can be yourself 100%, you can have your education and all of that, and you get put on a higher plateau? And she didn't get it at first, but I said, church. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it's a black church, all right? And it is, a, it is an organization, all right? And she don't got to pull her hair back. She don't got to get it permed. She don't gotta. Uh, she don't gotta not talk like she talk. Uh, she can be herself completely, and get um and get raised to a high, higher status in the church. All right. Um. So my my question is, uh, should we should we um should we pro promote to uh, become business owners, and not workers, and not and not and we're not working at a job because I'm I work at a school and everything that you do it does not promote creativity. It promotes you to be to fall in line like uh, like everybody else. Basically, your job. So, should we promote uh, having our own business, and uh, how will, how do we do that? I, I want to just real quick add to that, and I'm glad you said that. You know, I was a there's a business owner, and then there's a entrepreneur mindset that you have to adapt. And being a business owner for over 30 years in a private practice, and then closing it, and not being an entrepreneur. See, an entrepreneur can go and make money whether they own a business or not. And that's a concept that me, I'm a baby boomer, did not know. And I, I have millennial kids, and my millennial kids, they don't even want jobs. They want to be just entrepreneurs, and they're doing fine as entrepreneurs. And so that's a spirit that, that we really need to embrace to our young people to not just own a business. That's good to be a business owner but when that business goes belly up if you're not an entrepreneur and know how to make money without having that business then you're still kind of between a rock and a hard place um, I think I still think I, I agree um, 
and I, um, I think it's all about your assignment, whatever your, God, whatever your God assignment is. Everyone can't be an entrepreneur because everyone needs workers. So you can't just say, I think the way the society is now, from what I'm seeing, entrepreneurship is seen as like the pinnacle and then having a job is seen like, well, you just, you should like, you shouldn't work for anybody. But it's like, well, I still impact people where I work at the hospital. Like people still need black faces or they need Hispanic, they need representation within the hospital. Everyone doesn't necessarily need to own a hospital. Um, so I really do think that it depends on where God has placed you and where your assignment is. And if it is to you know to not be a teacher and to leave the classroom and do something else where you can be more impactful, if that's where he's putting on your heart, then by all means. But I don't think that, I don't think that anyone has to look at a particular a particular, um, a particular job or a particular thing and say we all should aspire to be this one thing because that's not true regardless if it's entrepreneurship or a nine to five. Amen. Uh, we have uh, Sister Nora that has a question and then I know there were two, uh, Sister Wordlaw and then we'll end with Sister, uh, with uh, Sister, Brother, your hand was up, right? Uh, we'll end with Brother uh, here. Okay, my question is, I know we were speaking, uh, Brother Hamilton was speaking earlier in regards to black lives, but primarily that's in the, that's from the vantage point of the criminal justice system. But my question is, when we think about black lives matter, how do we as a church community change the fact that Black Lives Matter, how we speak to our children. Uh, you're stupid. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I think re realistically, we have observed as we have shopped in stores, how we see ourselves and, and our culture really treating our children. So consequently, if we really think that black lives matter, what are we as a religious community going to do to try to effect change in regards to how our children see themselves in regards to developing them, providing positive role models for them? Because the scripture says you are wonderfully and beautifully made, but do we advocate that? So my question is, from the panel, what can we do as a church to be a, we have to be proactive rather than reactive. So what, what are some of your suggestions that we can do to be a larger impact, not only in this congregation, but in the community that we serve? That's the greatest challenge that we're faced with uh, in the 21st century church is getting young people in the church. Uh, uh, man, I, I would I would love to know the answer to that because the, the the greatest problem that we have is that we've raised a generation that know not God. Mm. Um, when you look at uh, our young people today, they have no uh, desire to come to church. Uh, it wasn't a desire that was placed on us. It was a desire that was instilled in us. You were going whether you wanted to or not. And that's what caused young people to be in the church is that parents and grandparents made them come. 
I, I, I just don't believe we, we, we're, we're reaching them inside uh, on, uh, and they're on the outside. We got to bring them in. We got to figure out how to get our young people back in church. Because as long as they stay out there, they'll never get the upbringing that comes from being in church. It's some things that some of us uh, learned that was uh, right at church. At church. And so, y'all, we got to get them back in here. That's all. How can we do that, Sister Nora? That's the hundred thousand dollar question. But it starts at home. I think um, one of the things is it's teaching um, and and modeling what is right. Um, a lot of times in the school system, as well as stores, church, you, you will hear um, individuals speak to, to kids in a negative way and talk down to kids. So much so that a lot of my job is that in speaking to teachers about you don't have to speak that way. Um, and the response a lot of times is that's what they respond to, right? That's how they respond. That's how I get your attention because I'm screaming, I'm hollering, I'm yelling. Um, but we only have control of ourselves, someone said that earlier. That's the only person you have control of. And so how you speak to others, how we, kids are, kids are little sponges. And so it's okay for us to think that they should do something different, but then we have to really look at ourselves and see what are we modeling for kids. And so if I speak to adults any kind of way, <laughs> and then I want my child to turn around and speak to someone else a better way, then that's not okay. We were all children once. Um, and children have to know their value, but in church what we can do is modeling that when we're talking to kids. If I'm a Sunday school teacher, how I speak with kids and, and not talking down to them because that can happen even at church. <laughs> it doesn't have to be at their home. Um, there is no magic wand. I told a teacher Friday, I don't have a magic wand to make everyone in your classroom behave, but we can help people build a skill set on how to respond to situations and how to deal with behavior because that's typically when it's happening, it's because of behavior. So you, till you get to the root of the problem of the behavior, then you can't change anything, so. Amen. Oh, go, go. Uh, we just, we're gonna, we gotta move uh, swiftly. Uh, sorry about that, Brother Parson. Sister Word Law. Okay, I work in the school district. I have, I work in two school districts as a substitute teacher. Some people downplay that job, but I don't. I have noticed the children in the school, and I noticed that they don't know who they are. So when I'm in the classroom, I'll, and I see a child acting up and don't care, I'll say, do you know who you are? I said, my, first my grandmother's first cousin was Walter S. McAfee. He was the one that calculated the speed of the, of, uh, from Earth to the moon. He was uh, a scientist and a mathematician and he was from Marshall, Texas. I said, my grandmother's cousin on the other side, Forrest Whitaker, he's an actor. And the kids will look and they'll say, what? And then, you know, you have to tell children who they are. And I tell them about my grandson who played football. If they're, if they're in sports, I try to reach them where they are. And I'll tell them, he played football for Carter. And I said he was good. <laughs> yeah. 
So they, I show them a video. All of a sudden, I see these children working where they weren't working at first. And I asked one little boy Friday, I said, why didn't you decide to pick up your paper and start working? He said, I saw the video. Well, what it told me is that they need mentors. They need a village. Yeah. How do we go about, as a people, not just this congregation, but reaching out to everybody as a village and getting our children back? And that's, that's, a, that's a marvelous thing that you did. I found myself, even through all of the uh, success I've had, I wasn't a mentor. So just recently, I reached out to the school district. So, hey, I've been a mentor in football. I've been all over the country telling folk about how to be a great official, what it takes to do X, Y, and Z. But I wasn't doing that for the youth that I in my community. So I did recently reach out to do that. Uh, and so, uh, Going back to Sister Nora's question, there's also a, a point where we have to learn how to demand respect and give respect. And I, I give this example. Last year, I was doing a game at uh, TCU, and I called defensive pass interference against uh, JK. That's when they stop a receiver from catching the ball. I called defensive pass interference on, on uh, I still remember his number, number 24 for TCU. A couple of plays goes by and Texas is kicking a field goal. This kid turns around to me and he said, you made an effed up call. And I just like, first of all, who you talking to? I'm from the hood. These, street, these stripes come off. I had to gather myself. So after the play, I said, well, son, come here. He runs off the field like I didn't talk to him. So I ran behind him. I went into his bench area, got his coach. I said, coach, mm -hmm. let me explain something we're going to do today. Mm -hmm. He's going to respect me yeah. as an individual, yeah. and I'm going to respect him as a player. And what we're not going to do is talk to each other like we don't exist. So the thing is that we have to learn how to give respect and give respect on all levels. It don't matter what walk of life you come from, where I meet you at. If you disrespect me, I have to teach you how to respect oh, me. On. That way you will respect everybody else that you come in contact with and vice versa. That's good. Profound. One more question. I really don't have a question. It's just a, a warning uh, of what's coming. Uh, the, as uh, Brother Brown has stated uh, about the Hispanics outperforming us, uh, we have been left over. We have been here forever, but we're still on the bottom. Uh, I have uh, experience with kids uh, in the public school system, and uh, the Hispanics will come up and ask you how to do something, and you show them, and you show them what is right, and they take it and run with it. But the black kids come up, you explain something to them, and say, this is wrong, you didn't do this right. And I say, do you understand that? And they say, yes, I do understand it. And I say, okay, change it. They say, I'm not gonna change it. Okay, so uh, we have to understand that we have a, a, a serious problem with what's coming up behind us because we are infused with frivolity and we are not serious about our lives and where we are and what our position is in society. So uh, everybody should take it on themselves to uh, uh, make our kids more competitive. Uh, when I came up back in the day, 
uh, it, was, it was a competitive situation. Everybody was trying to com compete to have the better grade, and that's not present anymore, and I think that's, that's gonna be a, a deleterious effect on our race. Thank you so much, thank you so much. Uh, let's give all of our panelists a hand. They did an excellent job, excellent job. Uh, uh, we, uh, we, we're gonna end here. Uh, th did this help anybody? Did, was anybody enriched from this? And let's keep in mind, uh, uh, these are issues and concerns to keep in mind. But remember, uh, we were, through the blood of Christ, uh, keep this in mind, we were born again. And when we're born again, we were made a new creation, which means at the end of the day, we are not uh, at war with other races. We are on a mission to bring all men under the headship of Jesus Christ. For there neither is Jew or Greek, bond nor free, male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. We are a predominantly African-American church based on society's standards. But when we close our eyes, and Brother Dedrick Jennings has our bodies, When we cross over to the other side, or when that great and final day comes, God is not going to judge us based on being black, white, or Hispanic. Man looks on the outside, but I read somewhere that God looks where? In the heart. And so let's keep our hearts right. And if we can keep our hearts right, and we can love everybody as we're saved.